Welcome to the Revelation Project Podcast. I'm Monica Rogers, and this podcast is intended to disrupt the trance of unworthiness and to guide women to remember and reveal the truth of who we are. We say that life is a revelation project, and what gets revealed gets healed. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Revelation Project podcast. I am with one of my favorite, favorite women, Libby Bunton. Libby is using the freedom of owning a global online business with Arbonne to strengthen the lives of women in her local community and beyond. She was raised in a quintessential Maine coastal town, and Libby always did whatever it took to make a living and get the job done. Before a career in social marketing, she did everything from manual labor jobs to freelance writing. A brief stint in a toxic, patriarchal corporate work environment propelled Libby to pursue an MS in clinical psychology, which ultimately led her to work in feminist leadership development with like-minded, independent, and irreverent women. When... When she isn't cheering women on, you can find her traveling with her Hebrew hunk, Paul, (laughs) singing karaoke, or in deep surrender to the abyss that is the journey of healing. Oh my God, welcome, Libby. I purposely did not read that before, just because I knew you'd make me laugh. So good. Your Hebrew hunk. And my favorite, I think, is the brief stint in... (laughs) Oh my God. It's like you asking everybody to last night, like, what should I write in the podcast? And getting all the feedback was making me die. Oh my gosh. It was hysterical and perfect. And I made sure I took the funny parts too from what people said. And thank you so much for having me, Monica. I am crazy about you. I'm crazy about your message and mm-hmm. the work that you're doing in the world. And you've changed me from the moment I sat next to you at that dinner table. We had that hysterical exchange. Oh, I know. And and the other part lives that I, I was going to say, but you know, now I can like, I can use the whole damn podcast if I want to and, and <laughs> say whatever the hell I want is that like all things in my life, I feel like I'm led to the right people at the right time. And there was so much like you were bringing up the other day in our conversation, so much alignment and divine choreography for when we did meet. And so for our listeners, we really met as part of Rockstar Camp and the Rockstar Camp experience with Megan Joe Wilson. And the truth of the matter is I chickened out the second time, the first time I didn't do it due to a back injury. And the third time was a charm because that was the one that Libby and I got to be in together. (laughs) It was destiny. It It was destiny. It had to happen that way. It really did. So Libs, there's so many things that I could ask you, but what I really want to talk to you about in this particular podcast is a little bit more about what feminist leadership development is to you. Oh my gosh, so much in there, so much in there. Where should we start? <laughs> I know, I know. There's there is a lot, but I know that I mean, what the hell? Why don't we start with brags? Oh, brags. Yes. Well, bragging, the art of bragging as you and I both learned from Mama Gina and Megan, you know, fine-tuned in our work with Megan Joe Wilson is, has really changed my life. I think it's, and in sisterhood, you know, you and I have had so much experience practicing the art of bragging together. And should I give a brag or are we just going to talk about brags? (laughs) 
I think you should definitely, well, I think we should give some context and then you can brag away. So for some context on bragging, the brilliance behind bragging, I think Libs comes from Mama Gina. Is that right? Originally? To my knowledge, yes. Yeah. And of course, we continued the practice throughout our work with Megan Joe Wilson. But the idea behind bragging is this idea of really celebrating. It's another, it's kind mm. of a fun word for celebrating, but it's a way for us women to kind of practice being in acknowledgement, being in celebration of our own accomplishments, not as a way to to up-level over anybody else, but to actually mm. create more of a culture of celebration and acknowledgement mm. and a lifting up of all. Is that how you'd describe it? Yes, totally. And one thing I like to say to differentiate it from what we're programmed around bragging as women specifically in this culture is that arrogance is saying you're better than someone else. Bragging is taking ownership of a gift, which Mm -hmm. when we as women take ownership of our gift, it gives permission for other women to do so as well versus this programming of if I shine my gift, it might dull someone else's or take up too much space. There's not enough gift or magic to go around which we're calling a big fat crock on that one. <laughs> <laughs> a big fat crock on that one. Exactly. And and that kind of context setting is very much a part of what I think you and I both refer to as feminine leadership development mm. is creating a different kind of context for women to be together than they may have been raised to in terms of how to be together. How else would you, I guess, create more context for our listeners? For feminine feminist leadership development, I think that we have, you and I have been talking about this a lot. We're in this time of great rupture. And I think it's because women are returning to being together, celebration of each other, like you said, and irreverence. Speaking of irreverence, working against this programming that's really at the cellular level at this point. I mean, it's been going on for so long. So it's this counterculture movement. It's creating a new culture of when we come together, everything is actually better instead of being divided out of fear. You know, honestly, fear of what? (laughs) I mean, what are we afraid of? I don't know that we're afraid of anything at our core when it comes to that. It's just something we've been taught. Well, great point. I think about too, though, some of the very valid fears that come up for women, as you know, around things like visibility, Mm. using our voice um, (laughs) to go back to Rockstar Camp and the whole impetus behind it, this idea of really claiming our voices, claiming the stage, all of the ways that we're, I think, trained not to do that. It's that counter training. And like you said, I think once you get there, Once you cross that threshold, you can recognize like, oh my gosh, there's actually nothing to be afraid of over here. There's so much more expansion. There's so much more growth. And to speak, to kind of point back to the idea of it being so ingrained in our DNA, I'm not sure if it was in the cohort that I was in with you, but one of the cohorts of Rockstar Camp I did my, when it was time for me to get on stage, even for rehearsal, I actually got diagnosed with something called silent reflux. I had never had it before. <laughs> my, I didn't sleep for like two nights. I had a thought that I literally, if I went to sleep, I would die before I got on that stage. And then I started losing my voice. Everything was constricted. When I finally got on the stage and stood in ownership of the act of stepping into or stepping out of, however you want to look at it, 
I was able to get back in my body, but it was such a testament to how deep the programming is and that the fear comes from this like primitive subconscious place. It's not like we look at a stage and think I will get killed or die if I get on that stage. It's this, the visibility is the lion. Right. The visibility is the bear or the lion, yes. right? In our in our kind of ancient DNA that, yes. that has us believe that like we will be terminated. Yes. <laughs> terminated. No big deal. <laughs> no big deal. No big deal. So, and I'd love to know like what, how does this translate for you in your work in kind of when it comes to Arbonne and, and what you teach women? Well, it's interesting you should ask that. So prior to my first experience in this playground, I guess you could say, was I went to see a rock star camp. So for the first, I'd say four years of my Arbonne business, I'd had a lot of life impact happen. I had lost my mother. So, you know, the mother wound, as we I heard on your last, I think it was the last episode, I'd lost my mother. I was really trying to figure out who I was without the context of her. And she had a, she was very troubled towards the end of her life. So it got very complicated I had very blurred vision about who I was. So I found myself really trying to be like other people because I didn't know how to be without the overlay of my mother's troubles, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. It does. And so, yes. And I was, I literally felt like I was going to die if I carried on like this. I was looking to people, other people in Arbonne who were very successful and trying to model their everything instead of really just returning inward and trying to find out who I was and what I stood for. And I was always very good at that in school. Like I knew what people wanted for me, for me to get an A, not necessarily because I did all the work and things like that. So I came to this place where I felt like my body was physically going to shut down if I continued on trying to be like someone else. So in came the Mama Gina work and Megan Joe actually invited me to a Mama Gina weekend. So I went to a rock star camp showcase. Megan Joe and I went and had a drink. She mentioned the Mama Gina weekend. And while she, when she got up to go to the bathroom, I bought a ticket and she and I had known each other for like 10 minutes. She was like, who are you? <laughs> you know? And I went and I came home and cried for a week straight. Yeah. What? Tell me more about that. I I would love to hear why. Well, there are so many answers to that, but I think the easiest way to answer it is, so for anyone who's been to one of the Mama Gina Experience weekends, or if you have not, it's a room full of 900 women, usually roughly, with massive permission to let it all fly in a way with, how could I say this? In a way that we are just not allowed, in a way that we're not allowed Right. I mean, back to kind of the original conversation and the difference, like when we get into the realm of feminist or feminine leadership, oftentimes what we're doing is the unbecoming work. Exactly. It's it's this idea of really questioning all the ways we've been taught to shut it all down, our feelings, mm. our our anger, our bodies, our expression, our, our self-expression, our, our sexuality, yes. the whole thing. So it sounds like that created and, and to go back to the 
the term rupture, a rupture, like a true rupture. And it sounds too, it's so funny, I'm looking at this literally like this circle with all of these wedges coming out off of it in front of me. And it's this idea that I'm seeing like of a rupture, but it's like in like all these areas were coming together at the same time, losing your mother, seeing yourself or starting to seek outside of yourself, but wanting to come home to yourself, wanting to define success for yourself, wanting to break out of so many outdated restrictions and ways of being. And it was like everything at once just kind of blew, blew the hell up. Oh my God. Yes. And I was... The thing that's so, just as a side note, leading up to this, I was, you know, looking good doing it is what I like to say. I know. Nobody would have, you know, I'm the person who people are like, oh, you have broad shoulders, you know, so you can handle this. You, I'm the one people turn to. And I had, I was so trained to shut down my needs that I didn't realize what it got to the point where I didn't even realize I was doing it anymore. And so I really, I literally felt like I was physically ill. And so I went to this mama Gina thing and I watched, you know, there, there are lots of things that go on, but I watched several women who got pulled up on stage to do these massive physical and verbal expressions of grief being totally provoked by the audience and women ripping their shirts off and just, so much. And she spent the whole morning laying this historical context of the patriarchy and the wounded masculine. And to so we could have a better understanding of why we felt this way. I think everyone was knowing that something was not right for them who was there. And we didn't necessarily have the historical context of how we really got here. You know, maybe some of it, but not the not the ancient context. I love this idea of that the 900 women in the room represent every woman in the world, really. Absolutely. That over the course of this weekend, you know, for those of you listening who have done anything like this, there there is or has been nothing like it that I had ever seen before. But then to actually see what developed afterwards and offshoots of women who took the experience into the work that they do in the world is is kind of what, in essence, is how you and I met. And the thing that I'm really also hearing is that Mama Gina really disrupted that trance of unworthiness in such a huge way that not only could you kind of see this bigger historical construct Mm. inside of which we are all kind of breathing every single day, but in the knowing, it also creates kind of this, oh shit, Mm. now you can't unknow it. Right. Well, and is there, is this pit bottomless? You know, when I came home and cried for a week, I'm always been very expressive. I'm an empath. I'm typically very comfortable in my own emotion and specifically even more so able to drop in with other people wherever they are. Uh, It's a spiritual gift. At this point, I've, you know, I've I've realized it's actually a spiritual gift. Well bragged. (laughs) Thank you. I bragged. So when I came home and cried for a week, my husband at one point was like, are you going to be okay? Mm -hmm. This, you know, this is carrying on pretty long and he's really supportive and totally evolved. And he grew up in a matriarchy. So he is 
on board. And I looked at him and I said, this is actually all of my rage. Mm. I have rage from sexual trauma, from emotional trauma, from physical trauma that I had buried in my tissue. Yeah. And it had it, I have to let it fly now. I have to let it move. And I was, it was like, I don't know if it was you who said it once, but somebody was talking about, or maybe Meg and Joe, trying to push a balloon underwater. I'd been trying to push this balloon underwater. Oh my God. And of course we know what happens when we try to do that. (laughs) Shoots up. So finally, this like volcanic eruption of my rage and grief, I surrendered. I gave permission. I gave space for it. And then I came out on the other side of it. And yes, there was a bottom. I don't know that it was, it definitely wasn't the end of it, but I got to the point where my system was ready to move into something else at that point. And I thought to myself, what the fuck am I going to do now? Like, how do I, where do I go from now? Where do I go from here? Yeah. And that's when I found Megan Joe's work and did Rockstar Camp. And it is an undoing. That work is an undoing and unlearning and a return to divine design is how I explain the experience. And so to circle back to the original question, I realized that I had a belief that I was not equal to others. I had a belief that I was too much if I let my outrageousness shine. I was, I had major lack mentality about my leadership and the leadership of women collectively. And I was in a company that is primarily women, incredible women, all, you know, with a lot of various avenues to whatever success suits you uh, in different ways. And so it was, I was, in an internal conflict that whole time. I got to the breaking point having lived in this internal conflict of who I was pretending to be and who my my spirit, the essence of myself knew I was, but I didn't know how to get back there because I had not been there since I was probably five years old. Oh, oh, oh I love that. I was going to go back to that, that return to our initial or, you know, it's like that divine design, how we were, how we were born into the world without all of this programming. And so where I got curious, Libby is so you did a lot of misbusting for yourself. You did a lot of revealing of all of the lies that you had been living about yourself. And I'm wondering, so in busting some of those myths, what do you know now? What do I know now? Oh my God. (laughs) It's so fascinating because I spent so long in that space and it's only been a couple of years that I've been doing this work, but it feels so far away. I know. So um, holding them against each other is just, it's like, how is this the same person? How is this the same life? <laughs> right. So, so let me, let me, let me kind of marry these a little, a, a little bit of these concepts. So what you said before about, you know, the lie of, of like being able to reveal your outrageousness. What do you know about that now? What do you know about revealing oh. that outrageousness now? Well, it is so delicious. First of all, I mean, I just well felt bragged. myself, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I felt myself totally sink into that question because it was so, it was such a shock when I got back to that space where I was 
like, oh yeah, this is how I'm meant to be. Mm-hmm. This is my truth. This is, I mean, I look at a picture. I have this favorite picture of myself from when I was around five years old, where I'm wearing these sparkle glitter encrusted heart-shaped sunglasses with this big microphone and like, you know, those feather roach clips or whatever in my hair, crazy stuff. And I look at that picture and I'm like, that is who I'm designed to be. And so now when I create space for that for myself, even though it's still scary, so we cross that threshold in Rockstar Camp and in this work over and over again, and we still, the other, the old way tries to seduce me sometimes, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. it calls me back. It calls me back. See, it's easier over here. It's better over here. It's not um, so scary over here. And it is... When I, I know that when I lean into my outrageousness, everything is better. The first time I did Rockstar Camp, my business exploded in eight weeks. I mean, completely exploded. And I felt like I was doing half as much, but I was having a good time. I was having a good time because I was allowing myself to be flirtatious and be sensual in my leadership in a way. And when I say sensual, I don't just mean sex. You know, we hear that and we think sex, but just allow myself. I I look at how I was dressing before and I'm like, what on what planet would that be true to myself? I mean, I literally looked like I had just given up on everything. Oh my God. (laughs) I, I have to say same, same, same. I always look back at God years ago when it was like a uniform, like the same thing. And it was always black. And it was, I I don't know, like there was some way that like, I just felt comfortable in the same thing all the time, but it so didn't represent kind of the inner colorful me. Mm. Anyway, I just, that was, that's such a great insight because I don't think I've made that connection until you said it. Oh my gosh. Well, it's funny. I thought of it when it came up for me again the other day, when I saw your little video that you made about turning 50 Mm. and how, how is it possible to feel younger now than I did then? And I've seen pictures of you and you do, you look younger. You're there's this radiance. And when we allow ourselves to dress, and this is an enormous amount of what Megan Joe has helped me with, even just dressing in our pleasure, that there's nothing external of us that is worth sacrificing that, no. you know, and there's nothing external of us that is going to make us more or less valuable. We're valuable simply because we exist. And so, for example, today you'll see, <laughs> you can see this. I don't know if anyone else will. I'm wearing a bright orange as though I were to be going hunting. I'm wearing a bright <laughs> orange sweatshirt that's cut off. It's a crop top. So I never... Ever, ever, ever would have done that. But it felt good. Yes. I was like, yes, this is in my pleasure today. I give permission to myself. And you know what? People on my team, their outrageousness is coming out. Their delight. You can just see when someone feels like they have huge permission to be whatever feels in their pleasure. It's like it's like they just got, I don't even know what. <laughs> well, no, it's like they're eight backwards. Yeah, well, exactly. They're aging backwards. And there's what I'm also really, really hearing. And of course, we've, we see this over and over again, is that when we give ourselves permission to be shiny in that way, to take up space, to be outrageous, to invokes, right, it it provokes, it inspires, it allows, Mm. it expands, it 
really creates, and all of these are, of course, feminine terms, I brag, that, you know, (laughs) that that reverberation, right? And we give other people permission Mm. to do the same. And people end up wanting whatever it is that we have, because there's an essence, an effervescence that is now bubbling up where there used to be so much constriction, so much forbidden, so much taboo, so much suppression. And it's like, oh my God, I can breathe again. And then you never, ever want to lose it again. Yes. And Mama Gina calls it being in your turn on. It's like when you you see a woman, you know, skipping down the street and you're like, what is she? What's yeah, going what, over there? I, I want, want some, some of that. I want some of that. <laughs> and I just had this conversation last week with somebody. I'm not sure who it is because I'm in this conversation so much. I brag. Um, <laughs> well bragged. We were talking about this like collective sisterhood work and you and I are are in the graduate program for Rockstar Camp together. And I said something along the lines of this, how much it matters, everything, dressing in your pleasure, raising your voice, taking a dance break, being outrageous, using your flirtation for your leadership, however that works for you. If a butterflies wings can create a tsunami. Why can't this? Why can't this? Of course it does. Of course it does. And when I think about all of the women we impact by doing this work, it it, it's truly brings me into a just a place of complete and utter awe and astonishment. Mm. It's truly a, a revelation. I brag. It's what it's well bragged. (laughs) It's so well bragged. You know I'm obsessed with with your message and it's literally what the world is dying for. Yes. I um, do interviews and enrollment calls for Rockstar Camp, and I say it on almost every call, and I mean it. The world is literally crying for women to be doing this work, to expand their impact, to expand their resources, to expand their leadership, to balance the bird of humanity like we were talking about the other day. No big deal. Light conversation with Libby and Monica. Yeah, <laughs> light, just light and airy. <laughs> It's so good, though. Like we we just travel to other dimensions. And yeah, so what we were talking about was actually, you know, the bird of humanity and and Lynn twists kind of she talks about this age old prophecy, there are actually two of them. And and one is the the eagle and the condor, which I, I have to look back and see which tribe this prophecy comes from. I'll put those in the show notes. And the other is this idea or prophecy of the bird of humanity. And just for our listeners, if you want to go back to the episode of Lynn Twist and the Sophia Century, what she is talking about is the fact that the bird of humanity has two wings. The masculine version of the wing has become fully extended and is actually overextended in such a way that it's become violent. The female wing has not yet fully extended. And until she or the feminine side of the bird of humanity develops the strength to fly, we will continue to fly in circles. So again, I get chills because my body's like, yes, that is true. Yeah, it's so true. It's just such a beautiful way to kind of really, again, put some context around what's going on and how we can kind of be with the metaphors, symbology, the 
archetypes, but certainly these are some very helpful things to take note of, especially when we're in this great, great time of transition and change and chaos and a whole lot of unknown, which again is all of these feminine energies that are stirring everything up. It's how we create. And of course, we need that masculine side as well, because without the two and without integrating the two, which is also so much of what I believe this work is really all about. It's really and the reason I'm starting to recognize that we women kind of have to do it this way. I was going back to the hero's journey and the heroine's journey. And I kept thinking like, what are the real differences? And I found it so interesting that the hero or the masculine side of me is looking for accomplishment, achievement, acknowledgement, victory, and the feminine side of me is actually looking and seeking wholeness. And so, of course, Mm. she circles around Mm. back to the circling that I think women are doing in this brave new world. We're all circling together, but she's circling around to kind of reclaim these parts of herself, including the masculine that she was also forbidden to be. Because as we know, we weren't allowed to be either one of these things. We weren't allowed to be super kind of like victorious and out there being big achievers because everybody wanted us to be smaller. And we weren't Mm. allowed to go out there and really nurture or these, these other qualities of, you know, just feminine mystique and our natural connection to everything and our intuitive capabilities and our emotions. So it all Mm. gets to belong when we integrate. It all gets to belong this beautiful masculine and feminine. And so now I'm going to segue into asking you a little bit more about your work with Arbon specifically, because you hold a great big place in your heart for your work with Arbon. And I know that one of the myths that you and I often talk about is kind of this myth of what social marketing is. Mm. And there's so much kind of bad information out there. And this Mm -hmm. certainly isn't a pitch, but it's more of just whatever you have to say, because I think that you've been able to really dispel that myth and work with women in such a way that it really has helped them develop their own leadership and their own independent revenue and on and on. So with that, I just want to get a little more curious. I love that question because I too had a lot of weird beliefs around the industry of social marketing. And even after I started my business, it was one of the things that I had to educate myself on in order to move forward because I had just kind of believed the status quo of what I was told about it. And also there is a counterculture aspect of what we do because we're in the paradigm of you know, typically, I'm speaking broad stroke here, of course, for the United States, that in order for you to have a certain level of success, you have to take it from someone else. If you teach someone your inside trick and tips and skills, they're at some point or another a threat to your position of power. And the position of power is kind of eliminated. It's so fascinating to me, like how many conclusions are jumped to and things like that. And I, you know, one of the myths I dispelled, and it was quite frankly, out of ego, I did this out of ego, 100%. I'll just take ownership of that, was that you- Well bragged. Yes, I brag, that you need your friends and family to support your social marketing 
business by buying things constantly. And just as my husband, our friends and family couldn't possibly buy enough bagels to keep his bagel shop running. I didn't know why people would expect that I would have that, that notion. So I actually built my business to a level of success that really served me without really talking to my friends and family about it until I realized it was kind of a dick move. I was like, this is I had somebody come to me and ask me what it was and why I had never told them about it. And they were pretty upset. And it was a guy that I grew up with. He was like, what is going on with you? I'm watching this transformation. You're not really calling out exactly what it is because I didn't really share it uh, on social media or anything, more lifestyle display type stuff. Yeah, you were doing closet transformation. I love that work. (laughs) (laughs) Undercover social marketer. Oh, God. so good. Yeah, ridiculous, ridiculous. But he I was horrified in that moment. I was like, wow, that is my ego and totally selfish. So there's that one aspect of it. But it's really one of the things that I love the most about it is it is really just a vessel. It's a vessel. So entrepreneurship is not for everyone. And it usually requires an intense amount of capital. You know, my husband got out of it easy for starting his business for less than $100,000. And of course, he's invested a lot more since he started. But this is really a level playing field. And it is a vessel to latch to any mission. It requires work and it requires leadership development. And the thing that's so fascinating is I always joke and say, if you want to know what someone's belief lids are, ask them to join your Arbonne team because it's this perfect microcosm for needing to work on your stuff. Well, it's like its own mini revelation project, right? Because I always say that, you know, the magic of the revelation project is the second you start getting out of your comfort zone is the second you start to see all of the ways that you still believe the lies or, Mm -hmm. you know, put the lid on it or put the glass ceiling in place. Or there's just, there's a way that we can really start to hear those voices loud and clear the second we, you know, start to be more visible or start to align ourselves with a message or a way of living that isn't necessarily everybody else's or that other people are going to dare to have an opinion about. Right. I don't know about you, Libby, but for me, it tends to confront all of my nice girl behaviors. Absolutely. Oh, all dang. External approval. This is a huge thing you and I have been like mm-hmm. splashing around and in the work with Meg and Joe is this idea of being in self-approval. And that's one of the biggest things that blew my business open was this idea of, I don't need to have X level of success in order for it to qualify what I'm doing. It is qualified simply because I have decided that it is. Yes. I brag. Yes, (laughs) I brag. And it's why it's called radical self-approval Yes, because it feels radical in the face of a world who has trained you not to be this way. Mm, yeah, it's yeah. That's what makes it radical. But it also is what creates the revolution that, you know, when I look at your work, and I look at so many, really any entrepreneurial venture, I really do see, and this includes people who are entrepreneurial, even without necessarily attaching an income. Although as I say that out loud, I'm also really recognizing that there's so much value in women learning to invest in themselves in this way, that there's in so many ways, women are uniquely suited to entrepreneurial ventures. 
just because, again, of how in tuned we are, again, I brag, with so many of the various interconnected pieces that go into owning and operating a business. And so Mm. I do think that a lot of women get confronted with social marketing. Mm -hmm. But the same way I think we get confronted with anything that takes us out of our comfort zone. And I think money puts another kind of extra special layer of, of, of mischief on top of it, like just a thick icing on a on a nasty cake. It is. Yeah, it's true. Well, and it's so it's so interesting. I mean, there's so much in what you just shared, but I just jotted, jotted a couple of things down because I think entrepreneurship is the fastest way to figure out what your story is. Ooh. The story that you, you know, not the story that you're saying you want, but the story that you have yet to reveal and heal to speak in your context. And that's what happened for me is I realized I was chasing this bottomless pit of achievement shame, more or less, because I learned at a really young age that if I achieved high grades and I did extracurricular activities, I wouldn't have to deal with as much crap at home. It was a way of deflecting and avoiding. And I got so addicted to it. It was just, and it's this bottomless pit of seeking external approval for my value. And what I just imagined, I remember the turning point. I imagined in my mind, this thermostat inside of me, that is my value. And I remember making the decision that nobody's hands would touch it, but mine. And I had never actually been the one with their, the hands on the thermostat for myself. Mm, I was letting every, like men, uh, sex, money, (laughs) achievement, a promotion, whatever it is. I was, I was thinking that that would be what would increase the dial. And it was obviously, you know, that came to a (laughs) a really messy end in the week that I cried after Mama Gina, I think was a big part of it. But to also speak to what you said about women are particularly suited. And I think specifically in social marketing, because it's relational entrepreneurship, where you really have to have the ability to maintain a lot of relationships at the same time in integrity, in truth. You really have to sit, tell the truth. If you want to be of service to people and not have it just be about yourself, and you really do have to have this 30,000 foot view of the collective good instead of just self-advancement. Right. That's how I see it. I see it that way too, because you don't succeed unless everybody else is succeeding at the same Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. So there's a way that that really does promote a tremendous amount of unity Mm -hmm. and consciousness around kind of that collective whole. Not to be ironic here, but when I think of, again, why it's still such a path of what feels like a path of resistance for a lot of people, that's probably why. But it, I do believe it's the way we're headed. You know, I, I believe that the way we're headed in business is really more about a redefinement of uh, so, the social economy, you know, the way that we serve ourselves and how we're in alignment with what, what our offering is and how it serves all of humanity, including the natural world. This, this way we've been doing it through the hierarchy is unsustainable as we know it's not working and it has to also point back to what you were saying before it's that like 
overdeveloped masculine wing and we all have the feminine and masculine within us, we have both need to be honored. And that's one of the things I love about your work, Megan Joe's work, Mama Gina's work is it's not about you no longer get a seat at the table to the masculine. It's we're coming to sit at the table. We all get to raise our voice everyone needs to be heard here. And that's one of the things my husband loves about the work you all do as well. And the work I get to do through my Arbonne business and supporting the Rockstar Camp is how do we bring it together instead of force the pendulum too far in the other direction. And I think that that is something that we're all learning how to do. We're learning how to do it from really... I'm I'm thinking as I'm as I'm sitting here becoming tongue tied of like wait how are we doing it mm-hmm. but but I'm recognizing something as I'm sitting here tongue tied that part of it is what I'm seeing is that the way that women are circling the way that we're gathering is that there's there's like a mirroring and a witnessing and an and an evolution literally kind of in that and it's not necessarily a static circle it becomes kind of this what's coming up for me is like a a spiral like it's mm. it's in a it, there's definitely like a lifting and ascending uh i don't know there's there's something here for me in terms of like looking more deeply at what's what i'm seeing happening but as women are kind of remembering who they Mm. are and what they stand for and going back to that eternal essence, they're able to take that out in the world and really bring that into everything that they touch. And so it's really kind of raising the awareness and creating the opening or the portal for us to have a new way of doing business, a new way of living, a new way of being in relationship, a new way of serving all of the good things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was talking to another rock star grad at one point about this. And there's a theory and I think it's in spiral dynamics that they call they refer to it as second tier consciousness. And it is that ascension of consciousness. And interestingly enough, the return to divine design. Ah, Okay, okay. I mean, that's how I look at it. They talk about the second tier consciousness, but you know, it's second tier. And I also see it as the truth, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like we're getting back to the truth instead of the mask. And there's a way that I know that a lot of these feminine or, or women's circles in a lot of ways, it, there is a need to kind of separate and isolate for a little while from kind of the masculine dominated world to kind of kind of come back into this womb like experience together where we're mm. kind of remembering so that we we don't lose ourselves when we go back out there again it's truly back to this experience of of wholeness mm-hmm. and and having the tools so that you can't kind of forget again you can't kind right. of go back to unringing that bell right and it's remothering. You know, we talk, I remember we talked about the the womb experience when we were in that cohort together. And it really did feel like um, a collective and individual remothering. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter, our mothers do their best, even if their best is not that great. And when we pull away, when we lift the the layer of their context on top of ours, which some may never, 
Some it may happen early in life, some it happens later. But when we make that separation, and I know for me, part of it was after my mom passed away, coming to terms with the fact that I could stop being her caretaker and be her daughter. Yes. Even though I couldn't have that like physical, verbal communication with her, I was afraid of it at first because of, you know, well, if I change our relationship now and she's not here for us to talk about it, will I lose something? Yes. And, but, you know, I had to go through that. And we've talked about this before too. I think I told you, I I felt like I had to lose her in order for me to get to this place where I could be in that experience with you guys and in the remothering in a way that kind of breaks previous transgenerational trauma, I guess is the easiest way to, for me to explain it. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. And of course, I love the fact that we're really pointing to your previous experience in the world of psychology and social work. Mm -hmm. Yes, I worked as a licensed clinical counselor in I worked with residential adult in residential with adult co occurring homeless. And, you know, again, light conversation. (laughs) And then I worked in at risk youth population. So really rugged uh, work. And I absolutely loved it. And, you know, I think so much of my story was revealed to myself through that, uh, through hearing other people's stories and realize and, and thinking, wow, that's so painful. And then remembering that's my context as well. It's so fascinating how we accept what uh, we accept the room that we're raised in as truth. And then we hear someone else express the same story and we can feel their pain. And then we realize Oh yeah, that me too. Like yes. that's that's what happened with me too. So it certainly has served me in so many ways. You know, I don't work in the field of counseling traditionally as it as it stands today, but it definitely was a a very expensive healing project, but <laughs> really totally worth it. Totally worth it. And and I truly do believe that we get to a point in our lives where we realize that every single thing we've done up to this point played a part in whatever that healing or heroine's journey is. It's just, oh, that's why. There's this yeah. hindsight that comes into play when we can kind of look at all of the ways that we've been drawn towards a certain profession or experience or relationship that has mm. really, in some cases, while yes, there was a tremendous amount of, of suffering, I think that the more the more I really reveal and heal, the more I realize that it doesn't have to be. There doesn't yeah. have to be a tremendous amount of suffering. And yet there is in the world, of course. Mm. And so it's it all gets to belong again, but it's that personal journey and then the collective journey and kind of how can we now take everything that we we have done and really alchemize it into a way that we can serve the world in a fully whole and self-expressed way. I love that we just solved all of the world's problems in this conversation. <laughs> it's just, it's always so, so good. And mm-hmm. of course, uh, I brag that we just, you know, we, we do it all here. So what's next, Libs? What's next? What's next today? I mean, what a what an auspicious day for us to be I having. I know. I know. We're recording on election day, November third. Mm. What's your desire for your for yourself moving forward? Let's start there. My desire well, I've explained some of this to you before, and I'm sure there are people listening who have had the experience, but 
I've had this like orb of my potential that kind of hovers outside of myself and my underdeveloped feminine is yearning for me to merge with that orb. (laughs) So I'm working on that. No big deal. And really my desire is to just expand my impact through whatever pieces of myself I can share. I mean, I am, you know me, I'm an open book. I really am willing to share whatever, all the broken parts, all the messy parts, all the outrageous and delicious parts, whatever, whatever's there. But I have a book inside of me. I know for sure at least one. And I recently was kind of forced to play around in that area and get some of it started. Yay. Yeah. But really it's just I know that a huge part of my purpose here is to lift, help lift other women up, to cheer women on. I love men too, but specifically, I know I am here to bring women together. And I brag that I am masterful at it. I'm very good at bringing the right women into relationship. And yes, you are. I can't figure out exactly what my purpose is yet. But I know it's in that direction. Yeah, I know it is too. And for all of our listeners, of course, again, we'll put some of the references to this expansive conversation in the show notes. But Libs, I know that moving forward that you and I have a very special bond and relationship. And I can't wait to see where our adventures take us. I know that there's way more to be revealed in that area. But I just want to acknowledge you for your work in the world. Because again, you are a total inspiration, you know, like there's a way that you just show up. And I don't, you know, maybe from that original rupture, you know, that there's a way that you show up as all of the things that we talk about, the outrageousness and the sensuality and the humor and the, you know, the wise businesswoman and the expansive thinker, like you get to be all the things. And it just Mm. is such a beautiful thing to witness. And everyone in your presence, I just see them eating you up. And I love it. I love being your biggest fan. I love being a witness in your life. So keep going. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Monica. I am just like going to take that with me through this crazy day in history. (laughs) Revel in it. And that I feel the same about you. And I am so deeply delighted that I got to be on the show because as you know, this was a bucket list item and I totally am just a big fangirl of yours. So thank you. All right, everybody. So Libby, more to be revealed and we will be back soon. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, please visit us at jointherevelation.com and be sure to download our free gift, subscribe to our mailing list, or leave us a review on iTunes. We thank you for your generous listening. And as always, more to be revealed.